Once Upon a Time, Season 4, Episode 12 is over, but we are just getting started here at Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloomer, the co-host of Once Upon a Recap, and I am joined, as always, he saved up three months' work of coupons to Mr. Clucks. We're going to go here, there right after we record. It is the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, we're back. We are back, and I hope you're having a cluckety cluck cluck day. I am. As long as Daniel Day Kim keeps making appearances in Once Upon a Time, I will be very happy. Did you know that it was him, apparently, that did that voiceover? I did not. That's what uh, uh, Jessica Frey, who's a a big, big fan of Once Upon a Time, uh, tweeted me. Apparently something that Adam Horowitz uh, sent uh, over Twitter that apparently Daniel Day Kim came in to do that voiceover, which makes me happy on a variety of levels. Yeah, it's nice that they, they continue to kind of go back to the lost well as it were for, for little bits and pieces here and there yeah i just love it because it makes it feel like it's somehow all in one world which makes absolutely no sense in terms of canon but it's fun to think about well no it's it's funny you say that though because i know we we you know focus some you know a lot on the on the episode itself but i, I also did watch the secrets of storybook storybook lead in um and there was a scene that i don't really remember from i must have been season one um, where I believe it was a scene where uh, the Hatter and the Queen are, you know, use the hat and go back to to Wonderland. Um, but there's a scene in, in that where they're in this big round room that has a butt like you know 13 or so different doors. And the voiceover at the time they're talking about how uh, you know the Enchanted Forest and, and Storybrooke in our world are just two worlds in a huge multiverse. And they talk about Oz and stuff. But like one of the doors very clearly was a green emerald door that had a big O with a Z inscribed in it. And I I tried to scan what the rest of the the doors could have potentially been. Like there wasn't a black and white Frankenstein's door or anything like that. But um, I, it, it uh, you know maybe there's a lost door in there as well. <laughs> Just so this is sort of like uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas in terms of there's a bunch of portals to other dimensions and uh, yeah. the Lost Universe might be one of those. Okay, let's see. Let's uh, let's. I mean, we'll keep that metaphorical, metaphorical door, door open. open. Yeah, uh, you never know. Yeah. So uh, let's let's not uh, go dive too far into uh, Lost Once Upon a Time connection theories, though. Uh, not to bury the lead too far, we we are back. Uh, Once Upon a Time had its mid-season premiere. Uh, I believe it was called Town at the Edge of Darkness mm-hmm. uh, to introduce the Queens of Darkness in. And uh, just overall, Kurt, what, what were your what were your thoughts on this episode? Do you think it was a welcome return for the show, or, or did you think it was a little lacking? Uh, for me. It was a welcome return for the show. I know I had been very excited about uh, getting. I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that while I enjoyed the first half of season four, I'm not the biggest Frozen fan. How dare you? I know I'll be. It's 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 not a dissenting voice as much as it's an alternate opinion. I enjoyed it. But I think one of the things I've always liked about Once Upon a Time is the the variety of things that can be tapped into. And so I was happy to see that we're kind of exploring, uh, you know, Sleeping Beauty and 101 Dalmatians and Little Mermaid. And they have these three new characters and that you never really get to have seen interact before. So I'm, it's really interesting for me to see how they actually interact now. And I was really pleased to see this story kind of get set up at the beginning of last uh, at the beginning of, of or at the end of last year. So I personally really enjoyed this kind of, you know, fresh take on what's almost seems like a new season. 
Yeah, I'm enjoying a lot of the pieces they're setting up. I might not have been as high in this episode as you were, just because I think there were some things that might have been a little confusing or a little lacking. Now I'm going to put in the caveat that they are confusing and lacking at the moment. I'm sure that we'll get things cleared up in a few episodes. I mean, let's remember our season premiere, which basically had like Elsa unleashing a, unleashing a snow monster throughout the town. And we were like, oh, is it, this is what it's going to be. But it turned out to be this complete other thing with, the Snow Queen and Anna and all those types of things. So uh, once upon a time, I feel like it's definitely going to pull out the, the rug from under us at least a few times through this arc. One thing I, one thing I do have to say, though, is that uh, I feel like a broken record when I talk about the show. But man, th- things are moving fast here. I thought it was going to be at least a couple of episodes before the Queens of Darkness actually got into Storybrooke. But they were in there by the end of this episode. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure necessarily. I had no preconceptions about what what the plan was like i didn't even know necessarily that gold was going to try to get them to go back to storybrook and the moment he mentions it it's like okay 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 that's his plan i get it and like you i was surprised that they necessarily got there so uh so quickly um i for one was like curious you know you know they're heading there and they don't have maleficent because in my mind i know these three are a trio but we kind of learned oh yeah she technically died underneath the library couple times yeah she's uh she's she's not dead but she's she's nearly dead she's not dead yet most only mostly dead she got better maybe exactly <laughs> uh so uh let's let's start off here with uh with our first flashback of the uh seasonal arc uh this is a, a way that's kind of tie again ties together the queens of darkness now i know we were talking about this a little bit offline before we recorded kurt uh overall i would say this flashback wasn't as I won't say meaningless, but, you know, in terms of like giving away key pieces of information as flashbacks sometimes do, this one was better than the the midseason one, which was, you know, the the hunt for the magical gauntlet and kidnapping Belle and all that stuff. Uh, this this, you know, released information about Chernabog, which ended up being a key figure in this episode. But mm-hmm. outside of that, I wasn't I was it was nice to get to know them a little bit more, but I wasn't too sure how much weight this flashback brought on the whole. Right. It, it's. It was it was interesting. Well, first of all, it was we hear, for instance, that uh, Corella is the weird one in this group for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and not and not weird in terms of the character, but I mean, we do see that you know it opens on it with Maleficent's Forbidden Fortress and Ursula and her kind of get into it. Like her, Ursula's insisting that you know she received an invitation to come here, and finally they they, they start communicating and realize. Oh, I was invited here, but I didn't invite you. But I so who did? And then Corella shows up and reveals she also had an invite. And and it's for me in my mind, I kind of see Maleficent and Ursula living within the same sort of fairy tale universe as contemporaries. Is Cruella, who seems maybe a little bit more home at the um, the London where the Darlings lived, uh, uh, and so it's and she said that she came all the way here for this. I'm curious really more about her world and what her role is. And I'd actually like more background on her because we've gotten some on Maleficent already. We've got a little bit at least about Ursula's background in terms of her story uh, and a little in terms of the Little Mermaid story. So I actually want more background on Cruella and where is she actually from? Yeah, I'm interested to get I agree. I want to get more information about Cruella because she again, she does come from a very anachronistic world. I mean, she talked about how she got to keep her car when she went into the real world, which is like, can you imagine a car driving around the Enchanted Forest? It it just doesn't 
make much sense. So I'm excited to see like where, you know, we, we've seen like the Frankenstein dimension. You talked about the, the whole Jefferson hat stuff at the very beginning of this. Maybe that's another type of thing. Maybe that's that's, you know, they jumped into the hat and they were able to pick her out from her dimension and brought her there. Earth- I still think I'm guessing a mermaid brought her. That's still my default. My <laughs> when default in doubt, portal, it's a yeah. mermaid. I, I'd be intrigued with Ursula, too, because the last time we saw Ursula, she was basically considered not not a regular citizen but not like a goddess she was basically you know they were they were praying to an effigy of ursula so it's interesting to me that like she someone who's considered a goddess is now like on the same level as maleficent and cruella it's it's interesting maybe things are maybe things are differently underwater there are different laws to be governed but uh it's it's interesting that like a goddess is now being seen amongst like oh this pretty powerful sorceress and this woman who drives a very uh scary car well, it, you know, it could also be a little bit uh, great and powerful Oz-ish, where she's just somebody who has great powers and she's convinced people to think of her as a goddess. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, I mean, that's something else. You know, we haven't seen much of... We've seen... If we think of the Little Mermaid's world as, uh, as, as something that populates this land, we've only seen the surface world. We haven't really seen much of the actual mermaid world. Uh, and what's going on, quote unquote, under the sea. Um, so I think maybe that's probably you know, something we potentially get a little bit more into this this season. Hopefully with a Jamaican crab. Oh, boy. We love the Jamaican crabs. The best kind of crabs. <laughs> the best kind of crab. <laughs> Kurt, how did you I, I got to say, I really enjoyed uh, in all it's like campy glory. Uh, Cruella's uh, visual effects of her, quote unquote, power, which is now, I think, revealed that she can really talk to animals and kind of coerce animals to do what she wants. But I love that, that green breath, uh, magical effect. It's, it's something out, out of like bat Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin. Yeah. I think one of my questions going into, um, either coming out of last, I keep going for the last season, the, the front half or going into this is what really are Cruella's powers. And we do see at the beginning, she, as I take note, does she have power over dogs with gold, or the rubble stiltskin later refers to it as powers of persuasion, which she does again use on animals. So I'm still not con- uh, certain of the the breadth or depth of what her powers of persuasion are. Is it is it persuasion? Is it just commanding animals? I'm, I'm sure we'll find out more as the as the season progresses. She's the Beastmaster. She is the Doctor Doolittle Beastmaster hybrid. Exactly. So it turns out that, you know, all these villainesses look at each other and say, like, well, who invited you to my, to, you know, the the Forbidden Fortress? And it turns out that Gold did uh, or Rumpelstiltskin in this universe, as he's known as. And he wants to bring everyone together to say and this. I feel like this is going to be the the phrase that we're going to hear a billion times in the next 11 episodes. They're happy endings. Whoa, to quote Rob Sestranina. <laughs> <laughs> yep, the sh- only show that has more mentions of happy endings than a sketchy massage parlor. Yes, uh, it's, yeah, we're going to, I think that that'll be the, the drinking game phrase of the, the season is, is happy endings. Um, and, and we also, obviously there, it feels a little bit like that Rumpelstiltskin kind of forces this desire upon them in terms of, like we we don't really necessarily I didn't necessarily buy that the thing that they all wanted was you know a story with a happy ending for yeah. themselves. But I think Gold slash Rumpelstiltskin does a a good job at the very least of selling them on the idea because you know they start questioning well there's nothing that you nothing that you yeah you know talk about there's a magic that can that accomplish this. But we learn 
Uh, but with a dark curse, you can do that. I think that the dark curse is starting to catch up in terms of uh, to the portals in terms of the thing that there are multiple versions of in this universe. Yeah, it's really like the MacGuffin of like, oh, you need something to be solved. Don't worry, a dark curse will take care of that. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out also like when this happened. Um, it's, it, it had to happen before the the first time we were introduced to them in that mid season finale. Yeah, uh, but I think more in terms of like the the you know the snow charming storyline and uh, it's obviously it's it's after he became the dark one um but it, i think I'm, i don't know if this, this doesn't i'm guessing this happens before the whole well we don't we don't know yet what happens in, yeah. in that in that flashback we don't know how things turn more south than they already did and when he abandons them later but it, I get, I'm getting the feeling this happens quite a ways before the whole charming meets Snow White uh, storyline. Yeah, I have I have a theory about that that we'll we'll get to in a second when we okay. when we get to uh, Bald Mountain. Yep. Uh, so now I, I don't know how big of a Fantasia fan you are, Kurt. But did you when you heard or saw Bald Mountain? Did did any uh, anything click in your head when you heard that? Oh, actually, before we even saw Bald Mountain. Uh, if you jump to the present day storyline, when they when the fairies get released from the hats and this blackish figure comes out of it, I my first thought was that looks a lot like the creature from Night on Bald Mountain. And there was even a musical cue that was reminiscent of the uh, of the music that's associated with that segment of Fantasia. So, and I remember uh, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that the creature in that scene from Fantasia is called the Chernabog. But if you give it to me in multiple choice, I bet. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's that's what it was called. So, no, I was all I was all up in this. <laughs> I, I definitely yeah, I definitely when I was I mean, I want to flash forward too much to that scene. But when the black right. stuff creeped out, my first thought was actually and I'm probably showing my age here, Kurt, uh, as was Tim Curry's villain Hexus from the hit uh, environmentally friendly children's film Fern Gully. Uh, <laughs> and I just was hoping that, oh. you know, t- he would be singing like, uh, I'm beneath me. Uh, but no, and then, but then when he, he reached that familiar silhouette, I was like, oh yeah, that looks a lot like the creature from that one segment of Fantasia that nobody, nobody could watch when they were kids because it was way, way too frightening. And to, and to be fair, Bald Mountain was my second thing. My first thing was, oh my gosh, that's the guy who has Prince Charming's soul. We're finally going to get closure. <laughs> we found the wraith. The wraith. We found back. the wraith. <laughs> No, nope. I was like, oh, no, well, the Bald Mountain thing's pretty cool. Wraith averted. But uh, <laughs> we're on we're on Bald Mountain right now. And uh, uh, it's it seems like the door is guarded by uh, blood scarabs. And th- this is something that's kind of reminiscent of like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I was thinking that or like this whole segment reminds me of like the end of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone when they're down. Uh, and it's like, oh, here's something that Ron's good at. Here's something Hermione's good at. Like, it seemed like uh, okay, true. it seemed like two out of the three of them, I'll say at least, had, had to could show their prowess off. So Corella is able to, as you mentioned before, use her powers of persuasion to basically get all the blood scarabs to scatter. And they, you know, they open up the door and they find there's an orb behind it, a wall of dragon fire. And Maleficent basically just uses her staff to kind of suction it all up. And Ursula's it's, a hand, it's a handy uh, vacuum attachment that everybody should have. Yeah, basically, yeah. it both it sucks both and it cuts. Yes. Uh, but and <laughs> Ursula has the key role in this because Ursula has to reach a, a somewhat great distance to get the orb. Yeah, she has the power of picking things up. Yes, if if uh, the enchanted forest had somehow uh, found the invention of that that like grabby hand thing that people use to reach up things high up on the shelves, her role would be completely useless in this. 
Yeah, it, it, it was like one step away from saying, and Aquaman, why don't you go call some fish? <laughs> exactly. Ursula's, she's definitely the Aquaman of this of this group right now. Yeah, because yeah, we I would have guessed that uh, that Corella was. I mean, I think Corella, I got this you know, when we talked about her, you know, smelling of desperation and gin. I was like, this is going to be a fun character when we get into her more in the second half of the season. Uh, but she actually has a power, which surprised me. Um and and we I guess you know Ursula does have I'm sure some some powers that we may have seen that I just can't remember at this time, um, but uh, you know let, let's give the makers of the vault where the dark curse is kept some credit. I'm sure the floor was potentially booby trapped, uh, and had we walked across it, then something would have happened. So we had to use her 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 graspy grasp to uh, to get it. Um, yeah, I'm wondering what the uh, security signal is for the Chernabog. Is it like once they pick up the orb, is it activated? Kind of like the, you know, all the the booby traps in the beginning of Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark? Or is it just like when somebody takes a step onto that, like you said, if there's like a weighted floor and Chernabog is automatically activated? Activate Chernabog. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It, it's he, he, the thing's just, I mean, it seems like with the moment it was taken. Um, and it, so maybe they should have done that whole like get the get the bag of sand that weighs about the same as the idol. It's like, yeah. give me give me the idol. Give me the give me the whip. <laughs> um we could have had one of those moments where you swap it out really quickly and but it still fails. Uh, that would have been fun. Yeah, it was just reminded me the end of it reminded me of the booby traps. I mean I see your point. Everyone's got the, the special thing that they uh that they the, the, the trap that they particularly can bypass. I was just waiting for a only the penitent man shall pass uh to to be one of one of those uh, Flash Crusade moments. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe you know, the, maybe they might go cave hopping in future flashbacks, and we'll, we'll get that moment. And Sean Connery will make a return appearance. Yeah, it seemed like it was just a little bit reminiscent of the cave uh, where uh, Neil was being held captive, and they each had to oh, give some yeah. sort of uh, some sort of you know deep secret about themselves to to uh, to extend, move in, extend the bridge, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Uh, so you know, they they pick up the orb and they. They're they're off to the races, but suddenly the Chernabog appears, and Gold kind of reveals that this has kind of been his plan all along to uh, dupe these three women into getting the orb for himself. And he helpfully provides the exposition that the Chernabog apparently it, it seeks after the person whose heart shows the most potential for darkness. Did I get that right? Yep. Okay. Uh, so it, I guess it it, it has a, a darkness radar <laughs> or a potential for darkness radar. It is the it is the guidance counselor of the demon world. <laughs> <laughs> now, Maleficent, let's talk about your future. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like you're you're going to be this maybe potentially a, a great evil priest. Frella, you're going to be working in the fashion industry. Ursula, marine biologist or janitor at an aquarium. <laughs> uh, Maleficent, uh, you're going to be an evil dragon. Uh, you're the one that I'm going to go for. And I like how Maleficent is like. Why am I not surprised? Yeah, um, I got to point out one thing. So gold took this orb, and presumably the orb has the curse in it. My theory, and again, this is just a theory that I'm throwing out there, what if this orb contains the curse that he eventually conspires or creates for Regina to use on the kingdom? It could be, but but also at the beginning of the very first episode of the very first season, don't we see Regina visiting Maleficent and trying to get a curse from her? Oh, maybe. Maybe that was like an episode two thing. 
Yeah, um, it, there's some there's something that that Regina yes, yes, because then she finds out that she has to kill her father in order to create activated. that that one curse. Yeah, yeah. So again, it could be the same thing. It's just we because we don't know how things play out after they escape the cave. If somehow Maleficent gets the curse from like, is the curse that that gold's even talking about um, in terms of you know? Let me rewinding it. Gold's talking about hey, there's a curse where even the the dark where the the, the most evil villain can get their happy ending. I didn't even think about it until now. And everyone who's listening to the podcast is probably like banging their head against their iPod. Uh, but it's probably the same curse that Regina ends up casting. Yeah. I didn't, I, I completely been thinking, Oh, it's a different, completely different curse. No, I mean, I mean, it makes the most sense. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, I wouldn't say that's the main reason why Regina cast that spell. I think it was more so as a, an act of revenge against the, Snow White family in general, but I I think it it can definitely uh, be considered under the same circumstances of like this is a way to gain complete power and to create you know write your own ending, which Regina was able to do in the town of Storybrooke. So, uh, yeah, in, well, in the secrets of Storybrooke prelude to this, they do make they do really like if somebody who hasn't seen the show wanted to jump in right now, that hour long lead in did a really good job of setting things up from a history perspective. It had a lot of behind the scenes stuff too, but it was good from a story perspective as well. But a real, that special really did kind of position the reason why Regina cast the spell in season one was so that she could finally get her happy ending at the expense of others not having their own. So, you know, potentially the chain of custody for this dark curse starts with Chernabog Cave, ends up with gold, somehow gets to Maleficent, taken by Regina, finally cast. It could very well be that's that's what we see, what we see happening. This is like the Elder Wand. It's a complicated timeline of possessors. Now, did you think part of me was thinking, um, and I, I don't think it's necessarily this theory holds water. Did at, at any point did you think that Gold put the women in this position to see if they could and would start working together? Well, I'm sure if they if they find him and accost him, that's going to be his excuse. To say uh, that, he, that he was trying to create it on purpose to build a team, kind of, I won't exactly equate it to, you know, uh, you know, uh, Nick Fury faking that, that, that bloody <laughs> Captain American card in Agent Coulson's suit jacket. Sorry, uh, spoilers for the Avengers, uh, retroactive spoilers. <laughs> and those who don't know that there's a Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series. <laughs> yeah, but it's very, it's very similar, I guess. Not, not as... Uh, blatantly manipulative of emotions but i guess if he wants to try to skew it as a team building exercise i guess he can <laughs> since they did end up working together next the trust fall of doom <laughs> <laughs> all right now you're all going to create a human knot and you must untie yourselves or as the spite cage falls on you <laughs> two truths and one lie you go first maleficent <laughs> they all they all still have oh, their okay. uh, oversized t-shirts from like queens of darkness teamwork retreat uh, oh. 20 bc <laughs> Nothing has become more apparent that I am on the white collar tribe than the last two <laughs> minutes of, of revealing my my the deep dark secrets of, of corporate training. I love it. I, I, I can only hope that those that's going to be among the flashbacks that we see for these characters. Oh. Um, you have anything else you want you want to talk about with these flashbacks? I mean, the, the Queens of Darkness end up escaping and they, they end up working together. So they formed a, a loose bond. But other than that, I, I think that that's all we have for the flashback. Yeah, it's like it, you begin to wonder, did did Cruella, uh, well, the idea to how, how they should escape all came up from from Maleficent, which which was and it involved them working together. And, you know, Cruella and Ursula take off. Maleficent thinks she's screwed, but Ursula ends up actually saving her. So we do at least we do see kind of a uh, 
a evil super friends trio forming here. Yeah, which is exciting. Uh, but unfortunately, our, our trio is separated throughout the episode. And, uh, well, I'll jump to the main storyline here, which is really with the Queens of Darkness, or at least two of them. But it starts with Gold being uh, probably the, the laziest, worst <laughs> subletter slash house guest ever living in uh, Ursula's apartment. And, uh, and an apartment that resembled something that like Wee Bay Bryce would, would have from The Wire in terms of just an apartment filled with fish tanks. Yeah, this is like the Airbnb entry that you just completely avoid. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Though it's got a microwave, so he can, he can make as much ramen as he wants. Well, I think there's a limit on the supply, apparently, because I think he ate the last one. Yeah, I, he is. He's, I would I would not want to even if it, even though it was just six weeks, I think like six weeks would be an eternity. If you have this old man just sitting in your apartment all day, doesn't do anything, probably is, is on your computer trying to catfish people through email to get his pl- to make his plan work and then eating your ramen and probably not feeding your fish. He just he just seems like a a, a, a burden. Yeah. Was it, I think, that, that Ben Franklin said that uh, fish and house guests both smell after three days? And I think this is kind of doing double duty in terms of that old uh, old saying. Well, I guess she's used to the smell then, if that's the case. So this is probably the best scenario for him. Uh, so, you know, Ursula is very... It seems like throughout this episode, both Ursula and Corella are extremely incredulous about Gold throughout this entire episode, about his plan and his assurance that they'll, they'll get their happy endings. Uh, probably because, you know, the last time he said that, he tried to leave them for dead in a in a cavern with a giant demon. Uh, but Gold happens to get an email that says, you know, he calls it the, the beginning of the end of the beginning of the end of our misery. I think it was. Uh, yeah. And we, we won't find out until later. But it appears that that was, I guess, the email from Bell well, trying to. OK, so so and I didn't actually connect that until I'm just looking at my my notes here and I have an Natal- italics who sent this email. What's up with the email? And I was like, oh, we never got back to that. But it was like, oh, wait a minute. The only email we really hear about is that that, you know, Bell reached out to a translator. But we'll get we'll, we'll get more to that later. And weird and, to say, I think this is the one of the first instances of a character from Once Upon a Time actually using email. Uh, Yeah. Uh, but it's one of those email programs where the entire screen lights up with a big picture of an envelope saying, you have an email. Yes, the most generic email server ever. Yes. Uh, so um, Gold decides it's time to find uh, the, the next member of the trio, and that is Cruella Feinberg. Feinberg, yep. Cruella <laughs> Feinberg, uh, living out in Great Neck, Long Island. Uh, I, I'd assume... If uh, the, if Once Upon a Time was produced by NBC or an NBC affiliate, there would be some sort of Real Housewives crossover opportunity. Uh, but for now, we can only assume that if there was a Real Housewives of Long Island, that Cruella would absolutely be one of them. Yeah, I think although, you know, Real, Real Housewives of the Enchanted Forest or Real Housewives of Storybrooke could actually be a fun spinoff. Oh, I can, well, especially since they're all related. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, can we can we talk about Cruella for a second, Kurt? Because the the something that the show has done really well is that they've been able to like again, you know, they they've decorated these people in the enchanted forest with these uh, medieval like fairy tale esque costumes. Where as in even the most decorated people, like the blue fairy, for instance, or someone like Regina, they can put them in modern day costumes and make them look a little more subdued. Even Ursula, who is covered in tentacles in the in the enchanted forest, is you know she's just wearing like a regular jumpsuit has her hair long looks great uh Corella, i did not see any change between the two <laughs> she looks she looks completely out of place in this world yeah i think the yes 
Uh, although I, th- I think it, it maybe just lends support to the idea that she is not originally from the Enchanted Forest, potentially. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think she she does indicate that um, the if we'd seen her like on a regular day, she might have looked a little bit ordinary. But when her husband, everything that was owned by by the husband or like that apparently, I don't know if he was being you know taken down for tax evasion or what. But basically, she lost in a matter of seconds everything except for her fur and her car. Um, and I didn't put one and one together that the car was something that she had maybe you know brought with her from her original story life. Um, but I think you make a good point. If if the fur was kind of one of her original vestments, and then so her car probably was as well. Yeah, it's just it's it's just weird to me between the costume, like the costume design really didn't change. Her eyebrows it's just uh, like completely ridiculous. That, that I'm mean, gonna have hard as much as I think Cruella is my favorite of the trio. I'm having a hard time with the. Uh, I love the hair. <laughs> having a hard time with the eyebrows. Just want to take a tweezer to those things. Or an eraser. Uh, <laughs> a little, little, little paint thinner. Um, but actually, now I think about it, because the, the vanity plate in the car is DeVille, it's not DeFeinberg, uh, this probably is, like, along with the fur, one of the things that, that she has kept from her uh, original story life. And it's maybe just technologically similar enough to our world where she was able to keep it um, whereas you know ursula does not have her tentacles <laughs> uh, and i'm assuming we'll find out we'll definitely find out at some point how ursula and corella were not only able to get into the real world but able to still retain their memories because i'm sure that's a big question but i, I would love to be so there's some at least one scene of corella meeting mr feinberg and them and him actually i mean if if, if it's more her powers of persuasion than uh, talking to animals, maybe she was able to persuade him to marry yeah. her. She just found the richest man she could in on Great Neck and and just said, "All right, you're going to marry me." And then within I don't know five hours, they were married. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Well, then the question is, yeah, does she still have her powers in this world? And you know, if she was able to convince him of that, is she able? Why wasn't she able to maybe convince the cops? You know, let me keep some money. Or I don't. Know. Oh no, that, that's we'll true. because yeah, they because she did say that they, she didn't have her magic. So you're right. They probably, oh, she yeah. probably didn't. She probably didn't use her powers. So maybe she you know, she used her pure charm and fantastic looks to win Mr. Feinberg. Oh, yeah, very very potentially, very potentially. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think she looks that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of digging the the the, the Corolla. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm an Ursula man. I mean, we'll we'll get we'll get. I we'll mean, get to the question. I know where you're gonna get. <laughs> I know. I I think you know where we're what question we're gonna get to later. Yes. But, oh yes, uh, I do. So let's not spoil our answers okay. too much. But uh, you know, we once again have another scene where basically Gold uh, Corolla saying, "I don't I don't believe you, Gold. There's no place where we can get our magic back and get our happy endings." Gold says, "Yes, there is. Come with me." And they. They drive off in Cruella's car. And this, this was a funny scene that I enjoyed. And not just because of the Mr. Clucks reference. Uh, I, I love the fact that it looked like they were sitting in traffic initially. And, you know, there's there's some expositional things by when Gold's talking about, you know, I'm going to we're going to we've been down in the odds, but we're going to change the odds and use uh, the author's power. And then the, the big reveal turns out that they're just in <laughs> line at the drive through. And I love that both Ursula and Cruella are like fast food junkies. Yeah. It's a there's something interesting that, that happened during that uh, that conversation. I had to rewind it to make sure I actually heard correctly. And, you know, Gold says to the other two, you know, he explains the idea of this author and we have to you know harness his power. And he says that he's pretty sure the author is in the storybook and we want. And he said, if we want to enlist his help, we have to get there before the heroes do. And I rewound to her like did he I, I rewound it to say, well, did he say 
to there or to him? I mean, if he said we have to get to the author before the heroes do, then he's probably referring to Charming and Emma and, and that crew. Yeah. But he says the author's in the storybook, and if we want to enlist his help, we have to get there before the heroes do. And which makes you wonder, is there like a hero counterpart to each of these characters? Like, are we going to see they're getting the return of Prince Charming? Are we going to see uh, Pongo uh, have more of a role than being, the, you know, Dr. Hopper's dog. Uh, are we going to see a little bit more Ariel and Eric? Um, so I thought I again, I might be reading too much into it, but he does say we have to get the storybook before the author is before the heroes get there. I want a League of Heroes now to form this season with <laughs> Prince Philip's spirit uh, as held by the Wraith, Ariel, the mermaid and oh, yeah, Pongo, so. the dog. <laughs> Yeah. And then I'm wondering if we are going to see a little bit more Hopper and Pongo uh, with the introduction of Cruella to uh, to Storybrooke, because, you know, you know, Pongo in season one was just really kind of a offhand reference to uh, 101 Dalmatians. Um, so I'm wondering if there is going to actually be a role for Pongo and if that, by essence, gets more of a Dr. Hopper involvement. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how things go uh, down the road. Yeah, because we, we don't know anything about Pongo. We obviously know that Hopper was Jiminy Cricket and we know his backstory, but Pongo just sort of seemed to appear. So unless he was a fabrication of Regina saying, oh, it'd be fun if this town had a dog. He must come from somewhere. Yeah, because we do see Pongo... Uh, Pongo is what kind of gets Belle's attention when she's working for gold. Uh, he makes an appearance at, at the at the Beast's castle, as it were, um, when Belle gets kind of kidnapped by the three by the three evil ones. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that part? I don't. I. I oh, yeah. 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 That's yeah, yeah. he's sent so, out as the trap. Yes. Okay, so he, yeah. he did. He did. He did exist in Storybrooke or sorry, Storybrooke in the Enchanted Forest. I don't know. Maybe which maybe the fact that Cruella was there and uh, in the abduction of Belle uh, you know, does that potentially, you know, lead to the point of the fact that, you know, Corella is an Enchanted Force character, not a character from another world. So hopefully more Corella. So uh, the, the trio is able to uh, make the drive pretty easily between Long Island and Maine. Uh, and they stop right where uh, Gold smartly tied his tie off to a tree branch saying, OK, the, the town line is about 100 paces up that way. And surprise, surprise, Corella and Ursula do not believe him. But this time they got they got pretty physical. They they knocked him to the ground and they called him a, a cripple and a coward. Yeah. Well, when you she seems he's pretty easy to knock down. He's 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 you know, he's got the, 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 the cane. Just knocked that out for anything. He's done. So but it, was, it was a bit a bit uh, forceful on their part. Yeah, it was it's just pretty forceful about like, were they just waiting in that entire what, like four or five hour car ride of like, all right, as soon as we get out of this car, I'm just going to I'm just going to kick his cane away. Well, I think that the, it was a little bit more of the um, he kind of explains, oh, by the way, there's a protection spell cast in this town and there's going to be a, like, a little bit more than we thought to uh, to actually get in there. Um, I think they were just thinking that he was going to be you know, tricking them again in some way. But uh, it's kind of funny that even though you can't walk into Storybrooke, you can call there. <laughs> That's very true. That's a. It's a little bit of a plot hole, I have to admit, of like, well, we don't know. We can't find the town, but hey, we can kind of call someone to let us in. Yeah, can you Skype into the town? Um, yeah, well, if they, want, if they want to do any sort of any podcast, they might have to get their Skype figured out. Yeah, they, they can they can 
I don't do they get any shipments from the outside? Lots of logistical questions, but we'll move on. Absolutely. But uh, so before, you know, we, we jump into calling uh, Storybrooke, I guess, I guess we should kind of jump back and show that what's going on inside Storybrooke. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of where those lines, the present day stories merge at that point. Yeah. So we'll bring we'll we'll bring everything together when, when Chernabog comes out. But for now, let's we'll start off. So there's a nice little montage when it begins, you know. And uh, oh my God, Kurt! I know Jessica Frey asked me asked this question about you know on a scale of one to ten how happy you are that Henry's back in school. I'm gonna say for like for plot convenience sake, I'm gonna put it at like a fifteen. Uh, granted, it was like a a ten second scene, but oh man, I am I am happy that Henry has something to do, even if it's just to sit in a desk and talk about birds. Yeah, it seems like Mary Margaret went from teaching arts and crafts to teaching like you know you know you know eighth grade biology um <laughs> to be fair i think she seems like she's the only teacher in that school so she kind of she has to be well-rounded that's true um and we for the first time i think we saw the school bus yeah <laughs> like, but it's like okay yeah. it, it seems like a small enough town where you can walk everywhere but that's that's fair um is, you know, yeah things just seem it, it just seemed kind of everything just seemed kind of like falsely happy and hopeful everything just seemed too calm yeah it was, it was the total like stereotypical like Everything's idyllic here in Storybook. No more snow queens. No more witches. Everything's great for now. Everything, everything is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Yep. Uh, so as a, I really like this montage too because there's like a nice little touch where uh, you know Emma goes to meet Hook and they they he hands her a cup of coffee and they have a kiss and then they there's a nice shot of them like walking by the closed pawn shop which is a nice sign of like. You know, gold is a fit. his his memory is kind of faded from this town, uh, and then Hook goes into the library with Belle, and it seems like uh, Hook is channeling his best uh, Carrie from Homeland. He has a, the the big cork board out. It's think the whole Hook and Emma thing just seemed weird to me. It didn't He's, seem really. It didn't seem right. Like I, just because we're, I'm so used to them not sharing emotion that to see them actually sharing emotion i'm not saying i don't want to see it it just didn't seem natural because we haven't really seen them be on the same page a whole lot in the past several seasons i i I think that it might be because let's look at the first half of the season they had that one date episode and the rest of the time (laughs) he was he was being manipulated by gold and emma was off fighting her own kind of battle to make sure that she wasn't kidnapped as to try to become the the new sister of the snow queen so until they reunited at the in the mid-season finale they really didn't do anything together i know we, we kind of talked about how that was that one scene they had in the mid-season finale was nice but I, I guess i can understand that if we haven't really seen them commiserate in a long time so to have them be all buddy buddy now uh, six weeks later and get some coffee is a, a little bit of a, a shift in what we've seen before Right. And like, again, I know there's people who are rooting for them to be together and I'm not against it. I'm just saying it just was a a scene and a relationship and an attitude towards a relationship that we haven't had a chance to see a lot of. So it just seemed strange to me. That's all. I'm against it. OK, there I'm, you re- go. I'm ready for Neil to rise from the grave and he can marry the zombie <laughs> corpse of Prince Neil. Not the baby Neil. Uh, <laughs> that's another show. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, so this uh, Hook has kind of become obsessed in the past six weeks. This is a pretty thorough cork board. There's pictures of like the fairies and the hat and the, the author with a big question mark over his face. Uh, and it appears that Hook is really racked with guilt over when he had to put those fairies in the hat. Kurt, did you think that Hook was 
was like substantial in his guilt? Do you think he should have been guilty? Or do you think, are you on Emma's side that like he should really let it go because he really wasn't in control of himself? Um, but at that point, wasn't he really in control of himself? No, I no, well, he would. Yeah, well, uh, that was the, I think that was part two of that two part episode. So that was uh, Hook had uh, oh, a girl right. had Hook's heart from like episode four of this. I was thinking he was in control of himself when he put the sorcerer in there. Uh, yes, that was uh, that was before Gold took his heart. Yeah, no, so he should be racked with guilt, but not about this. No, <laughs> yeah, he should he should feel bad about condemning the poor old man to the hat. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just because there were there was a gaggle of them and they're all nuns that he's just feeling some sort of. Uh, I don't know, like uh, Catholic guilt as a result of it. But I mean, this seems to really tear him apart. And it, it kind of sucks because this was the only thing he really had to do this episode. And I, I do love Hook and Colin O'Donoghue, and I would love to have seen him do more. But I'll, I'll be interested to see what, where his storyline goes as tune well. In, tune in for the nail-biting library research of Hook. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, they better not put Hook in the library that in this entire season. It's hard to turn pages. It's... Yeah, exactly. It's watch Hook attempt to turn the page with only his right hand. It's a real page turner, or is it? (laughs) (laughs) I can't get past the table of contents. Oh, Uh, man, this is gripping stuff. Yeah. At the same time, it's like he probably can't do computer research either. I mean, you have to like hunt and peck with one finger. That's uh, true. He may, so. I, maybe he has like a, a mouse just taped to his hook that he moves <laughs> around. <laughs> Um, I did. I did enjoy this scene though that like Gold and Bell were kind of able to bond over the fact that Gold kind of made both of their lives a living hell in a way, uh, and it was nice to show that Bell does show some residual love. I, th- I think we're. I think I'm still going to stand by our predictions that I don't think the two of them are going to get together by the end of the season. But it's it's still nice that she's not like, well, that's done. Uh, six weeks later, I'm over him. Yeah, it, it, unless we, unless there's some sort of. Hook's motivations in this first episode of the new ha- of the back half uh, do seem pretty selfish and non-altruistic. So unless we there's some sort of huge twist where we find out, oh, uh, no, the reason I actually got these three or two evil, you know, women back into town was to, uh, you know, bring joy in some way that's strangely explained. Uh, we'll we'll see. Mm-hmm. I, I, but right now, it's he's he, yeah he's 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 pretty much being fueled and driven by evil intentions. So I guess Bell left Hook uh, in the library to pursue his research as uh, she she goes to Regina and Emma in the mayor's office. Which, by the way, I guess uh, we're done with the whole Mayor Mary Margaret storyline that lasted like combination of two episodes since uh, Regina's <laughs> done mourning. That. She's the mayor again. <laughs> I completely forgot that we had. Uh, maybe she's like uh, deputy mayor in charge of public works. <laughs> just put her in a corner office and make her just hand in paperwork all day yeah you just have to you just have to if there's any power outages you just have to uh deal with that yeah and with the there in the manuals was in what like japanese i think yeah <laughs> so bell uh turns out that her her prayers are solved now uh bell is a, is a smart cookie i would call her one of the smartest characters on this show but this is a i think this is a rare rare sight and faulty logic from Pell of she found an apparently an Oxford linguistics professor that is able to translate this magical text into a spell that is able to bring the fairies out of the hat. Um, I'm willing to overlook this. Um, it, the, the way that see the way that I think 
first of all, Regina didn't end up back. I thought this meant that Regina was going to have to recite something. And I don't believe Regina actually ended up reciting anything, did she? No, she just, that's, she, she, maybe she like muttered something into the knife, but I think that yeah. was it. Like if it wasn't like a, like a ancient Latin or Greek or, you know, Esperanto text <laughs> of some sort, um, if it was an ancient linguistic text in our language that Bell somehow realized, you know, this text is actually a spell. I completely buy that she got a professor to translate this thing from Latin uh, into a something that we could actually pronounce, or if it was like some sort of uh, cuneiform script uh, that was still. I mean, it depends on where the spell came from. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. So I didn't. I didn't actually wasn't actually as as uh, as bugged by it. Yeah. I, guess I was. I, I was more bugged about the mixing of kale and root beer uh, as as research food by Regina and Emma. Hey, but, they they gotta stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe I'll reserve my judgment until we find out what language the spells are written. I guess. I guess my thinking about it was like I. Do, I would doubt that the spells would be. The, you know, like the Enchanted Forest would have like their own language in which spells were written. I think it's a very small chance that a human Oxford professor knows the language that comes from an enchanted realm. But yeah, maybe. Maybe if it was if it was something from Latin, maybe that makes more sense. It's not like the frozen text, which was like all runes. Right. Uh, so we we go to the the woods. It's Hook, Emma, uh, Bell, Regina, and Mary Market. For some reason, seems like Mary Market's been like tagging along on these things that that uh, don't really pertain to her too much. Yeah, I was more wondering. Um, uh, was Charming there? No. Yeah, that was that was, it was that's it. It's like his absence at several points in this episode was more noting noteworthy to me than Mary Market's presence. Uh, I think he. I think he had a significant upgrade. He went from one line in the mid-season finale to probably like five to ten lines in this episode. Yeah. But well, we can talk more about that. I'm. I'm. I'm excited for the prospects of what Mary Margaret and David are yes. going to be doing in this arc because they'll be doing something, which makes me very yes. excited. Yes, I agree. So uh, Regina's able to use the spell. I guess as we talked about before, it was a non-verbal spell uh, using the the hat box and the knife, and it opens in a big golden light, and all the fairies slash nuns appear. It's interesting that the Sorcerer's Apprentice wasn't freed. I, I wonder what the circumstances were of the spell that only allowed the fairies to be free. It's because they were nuns and it was a Latin text. Oh, there, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the Sorcerer's Apprentice is Jewish. I forgot about that. Exactly. <laughs> they have to get a translation he's, he's not denominational. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, for one, was really happy about this because I think I talked about when we when we listed at the end of the last podcast where, where were a few things we wanted to have talked about in 4B. I brought up the fact that, I mean, after gold disappeared, this all-powerful hat box and hat is still in the town. Yeah. And I'm happy that they were able to deal with it, like, right at the forefront. And granted, the Sorcerer's Apprentice is still in there, and they might still use it because it's pretty, you know, again, all-powerful and can kind of suck up any magical being. But I'm glad that, that they dealt with this right at the outset. Yeah. And it, but it's not, it, it's not simply the fairies that come out. Well, though, you know, it, I like how it was kind of explained to uh, to the Blue Fairy that, you know, Regina was the one who released you. And I, I was, you know what? Grow up. You could have been more thankful to her. <laughs> are you are you throwing shade at the Blue Fairy right now, Kurt? <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired at the Blue Fairy. I mean, to be fair, the Blue Fairy's died, what, like two times now? Uh, I, she's pretty pissed off at the world at this point. <laughs> yeah, you know. 
And, and, and I was like, is anybody else a little bit wary that Regina is the one that's kind of left holding the dark one's dagger? I mean, I wouldn't want to be the one to say anything like to bring it. Hey, God, hey, Regina, do you maybe mind giving that back to Belle right now? Because it kind of ends with her just kind of holding the dagger and looking at it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, um, as much as I like to think that Regina has definitely turned over a new leaf, let's maybe give the dagger to Oh, again. <laughs> that's probably a good. It's probably a good idea. Like keep it, keep it in a safe place. Yeah. Though you never know. I mean, with Gold's next part of the plan might involve him getting the dagger back. And if you know, if he thinks that Bill has it, she'll be the she'll be the first person he goes after. Yeah, that, that would be one of those situations where I wouldn't say anything to Regina, but I'd like convince like Mary Margaret or David to say, "Hey, maybe you know, ask Regina for the dagger back." You are such <laughs> you're a storybook social climber, Kurt Cart. <laughs> So there's a, of course, there's a celebration at Granny's. I think this is like, is this like the second one? No, we didn't. Did we have a celebration at Granny's in the mid-season finale? I forget. If, if so, this was the second we, one in a row. No, we do, we had the one at the end of the last season. I thought whichever one that um, Zelina. Yeah, the, the, where I think where we see is where, no, no, where we see Frozen. Yeah, there's the Zelina celebration. Yeah. <laughs> Because we see we see Elsa come out of the barn, and we also see because I think season four begins with uh, Regina leaving Granny's in despair because Robin his Robin's wife is there. Yep. So okay. yeah, all right. So so we at least this is the, the the first time this season where a Granny celebration has occurred. But man, they're I mean, granted they're in a small town, but they must uh, they must they must have be booked constantly for parties nonstop. Exactly. <laughs> Hey, Grumpy learned how to tie his shoes. Party for everybody. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've, got, we've got a new dwarf named Evilly. <laughs> Celebration. Yeah. Uh, now now let's, well, let's focus on this, Kurt, because, uh, man, we have to go back and issue some corrections on our last podcast because it turned out that our base assumptions were wrong. The, uh, as the Blue Fairy reveals, the, ar- the author and the sorcerer are not the same person. I still don't buy it. So you're still you think she's lying? Yeah. yeah. You, you and the blue fairy are just not uh, not getting along. You know what? Shots fired. That's all I'm saying. Two words. Oh, you uh, you have a you have a head you have bounty on your head right now, blue fairy, uh, by of Clark, Kirk Clark. Uh, but this is a uh, this is interesting. Uh, interesting because it seems like not only are the, the sorcerer and the author different people, but it also seems like they have a relationship and possibly. A rivalry, and it's interesting. It's very interesting that, like, you know, when they bring up, oh, we found blank books in the sorcerer's mansion. Blue Fairy seemed like a little surprised, not only because of the fact that they haven't seen the author for years, but because I don't know, maybe she was insinuating that they didn't have the best relationship. But what what was your thinking about this new development in the plot? I know it was it was strange because it seems like it seems like the Blue Fairy didn't like knew just enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be useful. But she, she, she confirmed to uh, the group that no, 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 the author and the sorcerer are are two different people. And she says that they're very different, but nobody knows where they're at. Nobody knows what they're doing. And I wouldn't see them in years. I really can't tell you much other than that. And, and so it's, it's like she was just given this one piece of information to impart. And that's really of all the use that she has. Um, So I, I, uh, I'm just frustrated with the blue fairy right now. Oh man, yeah, she's uh she's giving out tidbits of information. So maybe maybe she'll be she'll trickle in some more as as the season progresses, but for now, that's the only key piece of information she has. And I'm interested to see this this storyline develop more. I have no idea how they're going to be able to figure out any advances from this. You know, are they just going to kind of stake out 
the 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 room in the mansion until someone walks in. I I've no I'm I'm with them. I have no idea where to go from here in terms of this storyline. Yeah, it's one of those things like where it is do things progress because a they figure something out that they didn't know before, or b because something happens and they have a chance to like do they learn something new because they made a connection they hadn't made before, or do they learn something new because something happens that they can react to? And I may and I'm guessing it may be the latter because yeah. um, we don't we don't really have a we know that that gold and crew are coming back to look for the author we don't necessarily have a sense that he knows where to begin his search mm-hmm. absolutely and i mean considering the fact that like if he did he would have gone there much earlier in the series progression you know it's, it's not like it's it's come to a point where they're like well Time for me to pull out my trump card and find the author. It, it seems like maybe the, maybe Gold's more at a point of desperation now that his wife has, you know, basically disowned him and the whole town is against him. But you feel like if I feel like if he had that information beforehand, he would have definitely used it to his advantage at some point in the previous four seasons. Yeah, it's 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 interesting like that he, you know, I, well, I think maybe before he wasn't focused on the happy ending. He was focused on power and and maybe he suddenly realized like is is a happy ending his ultimate goal now or is it a means to an end so mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm guessing with him it's a means to an end where if um if for example if these three villainesses uh and we assume that that maleficent's going to be you know going to have a role in the, in the present day if these three villainesses get their happy endings then they're no longer villains and if they're no longer villains their evil power has to go somewhere and if he's the, the closest person when they get their happy endings he gets all of their power i mean i can see it being something like that where the happy ending is a means to a bigger end for him and not an end in itself so the celebration at grand is, is once again interrupted but it's not because of awkward relationship drama this time it's because of uh the return of chernabog uh, or the first appearance of Chernabog in this town, and he is once again flying through that poor town square, which has been ravaged by so many magical beings. I can only imagine what Chernabog did to Doc's Miata. Uh, we, I don't even want to know if he Doc even bought a new car. But uh, Regina and Emma are able to drive it away with magic. Now, I'm trying to understand the logic on this one, Kurt, because they kind of explained it like it was chicken pox, right? That, like, <laughs> Chernabog got freed from the hat, so now he can't be put back in the hat. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think it's gonna be like one of those things where, you know, like the hats, like the uh, the Mad Hatter's portal, where you can only go through it if you have the same number of people going in as you do going out. Uh, it's gonna be one of those. I feel like we're gonna see this loophole or rule revisited at some point in an advantageous or disadvantageous way for some party or somebody in in the series where um, suddenly you're going to see that so-and-so who they thought they were going to put into the hat can't be put in the hat. And it turns out, Oh, it's because they actually had been in the hat before, but we never knew that. Um, So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that gets, uh, gets used. But for now, I'm just kind of chalking it up as to one of the rules that we have to live by in this world. It's a, it's a hat rule. It's a hat rule, yeah. Uh, so, you know, now that they can't put Chernabog back in the hat, they need to figure out uh, exactly what to do. And th- this whole time, uh, everyone's under the belief that Chernabog is after Regina um, because they'll find out soon from their call with, with Cruella and Ursula that Chernabog goes after the person who has, again, the, her their heart has the most potential for evil. Um, but let's let's uh, let's actually focus on that conversation actually between the people in the town and the the quote unquote sea bitch. <laughs> yeah. 
So th- this is some this is some interesting uh, stuff going on. And, and Brent Wolgamot uh, brings up a good point in a question to us. Uh, he says, why in the world did Regina let Ursula and Reg- and uh, and Cruella in after they claimed to be good right after they mentioned they stole the Rumpel's phone? So <laughs> to do a little bit of a recap here. So so Ursula calls and says, you know, she calls on Gold's phone. Uh, Regina picks up and is like, oh, OK, why do you why do you have this is Ursula? Oh, it's Ursula. Why do you have Gold's phone? She says, well, Cruella and I knocked him out and he he told us about the town but we want to go in because we're, we're ready to change now i kind of have to agree with brent a little bit here it seems like a little bit of a of, a, of like a logic whiplash to be like well we want to go in to change ourselves after we just kind of beat the crap out of this guy to get his phone well to be fair they didn't say they beat the crap out of him um i think this is a case of the enemy of my enemy is my friend uh so i think you know if they were willing to do this to gold then they can't be all bad mm-hmm and so, you know, uh, initially Regina and Ursula refused. Uh, Regina, has, I, I, we, we know a little bit of history between Regina and Ursula, though I'm assuming it's, it's a deeper well that, that we need to plunder. Um, so initially it seems like their plan is foiled until they conveniently hear Chernobog roar in the background. And I guess, I, guess, I don't know, Regina's phone has uh, a very good reception as yeah. they're able to not only pick out that it, not only hear the noise, but pick out distinctively that it's Chernobog. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, is that a wraith? No, 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 that's Chernobog. That's definitely Chernobog. <laughs> yeah, and so they they kind of uh, in in the vein of gold, they offer a deal. If <laughs> Ursula, vein of, vein of gold. <laughs> nice. If uh, Ursula and Cruella offer information about how to, and I'll put how to defeat Chernobog in quotes because they really don't offer that, but they say they will. Uh, if they help them out, then they then Regina and Emma will let them in, and uh, I think the Regina and Emma were desperate enough to just get bring things back to the status quo that they, they say, okay. Uh, but again, it's not really information to about how to get rid of Chernobog. It's as, as much as it is like a fun fact about Chernobog. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's because really they ultimate, the, the information they ultimately use to defeat Chernobog is that it can't exist without magic. Yeah. And that's something that they likely would have figured out without the help of well they did they figured that they did figure out without the help of cruella and ursula correct yeah they did they were yeah. they, i think they were just they were literally in the office when they said like oh yeah remember when there's still this magic barrier on the town line and anything that's magic will disappear once it hits the barrier great let's just uh draw it over there and we'll make it disappear yeah so it's um i think to be fair what cruella Maybe it's more le- le- less so Corella and Ursula giving them something they can use to defeat the uh, the Chernobog. It's more. It was really more of a, we know something about what it wants, and if we tell you that, you'll let us in. And they kind of did live up to that whole, you know, yeah, you know, that whole promise. It's maybe more of a showing of good faith that we'll tell you what we know um, if you let us in. Yeah, it may not help you beat it. To be fair. Exactly. We'll just give it again. It's it's like a it's a blue fairy source of information of like I'll give you one random tidbit and but be as vague as possible about it. Yeah. So you know, they they decide their their kind of wacky plan is to uh basically drive Emma's car to uh to draw it to the town line and then kind of finagle it over. I I did love the slightly meta moment while they're driving of Regina uh pointing out the the color choice in Emma's car. 
Yeah, I, I did. I, I, I caught that peripherally. I think I was taking notes. What was the the was it was it just a random color point out or was it something? Yeah, it was just Regina saying, like, why, why would you choose yellow? And Emma's like, well, first of all, it was stolen. Uh, so okay. I didn't really have a choice. Second of all, why are you asking me this? And Regina's like, I'm it's going to take my mind away from the fact that this demon is after me. There you go. That's so true. Nice little nice, fun little exchange. And so this is a. A kind of a weird actiony sequence where uh, it initially Chernobog latches to the top of the car and is kind of clawing at them. And it looks initially that Regina is going to like abandon her. Yeah. Uh, but then she warps to the she ends up warping to the town line. And there's a, a nice little, you know, there's a nice little sequence where Emma breaks the car. And since Chernobog wasn't wearing his seatbelt, <laughs> he goes flying through and into the into the wall. I thought that was maybe a nice little parallel between the two of them and the Queens of Darkness in terms of like, you know, it's just like when Maleficent saw Ursula and Cruella climbing the rocks. I think she kind of uh, had a hesitation of like, oh, I'm, you know, they're leaving me behind. But it turns out that they, they helped them all along. Well, did Regina actually help with anything? I well, mean, I, technically- I think she 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 was. Oh, I guess, you know, I mean, it, 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 the, the, the plan of. Unless Emma slammed on the brakes because Regina was in the road, and that's what caught, caused the uh, Chernobog to fly off the roof of the car. Um, it seems like Reg- Emma's quote-unquote plan to launch Chernobog across the, the line would have worked with... I, I don't see how Regina contributed to the success of the plan. It seemed like she just got the heck out of the car, but just stayed in the area. Yeah, I guess that's... Good question. I also wonder if the plan might have been like if, if Regina and Emma just got in the car with that scroll. So it turns so it also turns out that like the scroll is the key here, the scroll that Ingrid used to get into Storybrook. Um what if they just drove uh, over the town line with the scroll and Chernabog? Chernabog disappears, they stop the car, get out, read the scroll, Storybrook's there, they go back into town. I'm confused at this point about the, the rules about the boundary and who can and can't cross and yeah, so I, I, I'm I'm fine with them being extra cautious because I I'm so turned around on who can and can't go across and what the rules are for getting back in that I wouldn't have wanted to risk it myself. <laughs> well, Chernabog, uh, we we hardly knew you, Kurt. Are yeah. are you a little saddened that we only got one episode of Chernabog, or do you think the 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 video dep- the VFX departments uh, <laughs> spent There's... spent their budget and now they're done? Uh. <laughs> the... As much as I've liked the visual effects in Once Upon a Time for all the time that we've been watching it, and I've, I've actually commended them, the Chernobog scene in the cave, uh, it, it, it did look like something out of a, like, you know, 70s Jason and the Argonauts stop motion <laughs> film. Oh, it would have been uh, perfect with um, Maleficent with the skeletons that fought, that fought David back in the or fought Emma uh, back in the day. Yeah, it, uh, you know what? I, I, it was a nice, it was a nice touch. I think I maybe would have liked a little bit more, but at the same time, We've only got like a, like a ten episode back half, uh, so I'm I'm fine with not necessarily you know dragging that out. Um, it, and I'm also wondering, perhaps the reason and going back to like, did Regina actually do anything to help with the situation, or did she just bail out of the car? At this point, they're still operating under the assumption that Chernabog is after Regina mm-hmm. and is attracted to Regina. So perhaps the thinking was, I'll get out of the car and stand at the edge of town and lure Chernabog toward the border because he's naturally after me. Maybe that's what she was thinking by doing what she did. Yeah, that's that, that, that's actually a good thought. I've forgotten that at this point they were still operating under the assumption that they thought Regina was 
the target. Um, but let's let's now go to the next major point, which is the now that Chernobyl has been defeated, will uh, the story Brookians live up to their end of the deal and let Cruella and Ursula in? But before they can kind of weigh in on that, uh, David and Mary Margaret arrive, and I, I didn't touch on this before, but. You know, Emma decides to call her parents and update them about the situation, and they she happens to drop the fact that Ursula and Cruella are there, and that uh, that that's kind of the the mic drop for for both of them, as it's clear that they they have a history with them. They haven't disclosed it yet, but it's clear that they do not want them in this town. Yeah, rec- record scratch moment, and they, uh, they they seem more concerned than we would naturally expect them to be. So I, maybe we'll do. I mean, uh, Kenny, uh, somebody asked. Uh, I'm trying to find it oh uh, uh jessica frey asked a, a good a question about it what is your prediction to how snow and charming know cruella and company uh so i don't know i don't want to spend too much time on speculation but kurt do you have any sort of outright ideas about how uh the pair might be involved with the queens of darkness in general fight club <laughs> just an underground fight club yes. in the enchanted forest yep um, I'm, I'm going to say that they, they all got really drunk one night and, uh, Ursula, Ursula took some pictures and, uh, they, they really don't want to bring that stuff up again, especially now that they have two kids. Is it kind of like an, I know what you did last summer thing where they all just kind of like, were all witness to some sort of, uh, you know, uh, unfortunate happening and they're bonded through this tragedy. And even though they weren't friends beforehand, they're all now friends after, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it, it's interesting that because I know just thinking about that, um, you know, the fact that they do have history with uh, some sort of shared history uh, makes it seem like Cruella. Cruella can't be from the Enchanted Forest. No, I mean, just just given her mode of dress and that she has assuming she has a car just her history as the story she's involved in. It doesn't fit in there. But she seems to based on the fact that, you know, she's she seems to have at least frequent flyer miles for, for visiting there. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we get some sort of additional way portal explanation this season, but in terms of like why, how they know each other. Um, it's interesting that somehow if we're kind of looking back to the chain of custody about the dark curse that Maleficent ended up with it and that Maleficent's the one who's not there. I'm wondering if we kind of find out that Maleficent ends up with the possessing the dark curse because of something that these four did together or something. I don't know. Like maybe they did something that caused that took the dark curse from gold or rebel stiltskin and gave it into Maleficent's hands, which, you know, if that's the case, then Mary Margaret and David would definitely want, would not want people to know that the dark curse was that they put the dark curse in Maleficent's hands because that's who Regina got it from. Yeah, um, I, I could, I could see that. I feel like it's going to be way more convoluted than that. <laughs> that that's going to be tough. Cause that was pretty convoluted. Maybe I'm just going to go back to fight clubs. I think and, well, let's go with, and, let's go with the fight club or, uh, or I know what you did last summer theory. So okay. th- those are, those are our theories at the moment, but uh, it's weird because I will admit that snow and charming do kind of come off as, as Emma points out as kind of uncharacteristically uh, negative in this scene, especially the fact that they, they literally drive up to the town in the line and they're great. They're like, Oh, Emma, you're okay. Great. Hey, by the way, don't let these people in. Yeah. They're uncharacteristically demanding. Yeah. Uh, both in terms of the, how they approach Emma and Regina. And then later on when they're chatting with Cruella and, and, uh, and Ursula. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting. And I'm excited to see those sides of, 
the two of them because those are sides yeah. that we that we haven't I mean granted we haven't seen any sides of them in a long time but this is a side of them that we saw a little bit in like uh, we saw a little bit of like the kind of kind of bitchy sides in the sp- in the spell of shattered sights but we haven't seen this much of like demanding sides of them don't uh, wake my baby <laughs> so uh regina decides to relent though she kind of uses herself as an example and so she she throws the scroll across the line and uh Corella and ursula both read it and the town appears in front of them now here's an interesting thing so i guess gold was like i don't know hiding behind a tree or something the entire time could he have not? I thought at first he was like in the trunk of the car or like hiding in the back seat as they drove into town. I thought that would be a lot easier than like having to come back at night and then throw the scroll over the town line again. And maybe they have to be. Maybe the magic is you have to be looking at the scroll, and it's maybe it's it's, it's not as simple as sneaking into a drive-in with uh, theater with people in the trunk. Um, <laughs> you have a you, you bringing any goods into Storybrooke? Any uh, vegetables <laughs> or fruits? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's the, there's a, there needs to be a customs line there, definitely. So it's a board, yeah, immigration and border control. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure the the specifics of the magic, but I'll just chalk it up to he didn't look at the scroll, so he couldn't get it. Which are which do you think are more confusing, scroll rules or hat rules? Scroll rules. Scroll rules. Trump hat rules. Oh, in terms of more confusing, yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 the, the hat rules may be unnecessarily complex, uh, but they're pretty straightforward in terms of. Uh, there, there's, there's, they're, they're pretty binary. Uh, it's at least as of now, we don't know what the scroll rules are. Uh, like, do you have to be reading it? Do you have to read it out loud? Do you just have to look at the paper? Uh, not quite sure what happens there. So oh, I'm ready for the upcoming season of the real world scroll rules challenge. Oh God. <laughs> Johnny bananas is still on it. Uh, after all these years. Uh, so we, we get to nighttime and gold is, is about to walk away. He, he feels like he, he's been tricked himself, but it turns out that Corella and Ursula have lived up to their promise and they let him into the town. And he does this rather dramatic of throwing the cane away, uh, which might not be the best way to hide the fact that you're in the town. Cause they're like, Hey, guess what I found at the town line? It's a Rumpelstiltskin's cane. He must be, he must be here. I'm assuming. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> uh, but, but Gold brings up the, the plan. So uh, it looks like Ursula and Corella are kind of going to kind of be the eyes and ears of uh, this coalition. They're going to kind of do the talking and make all the relationships they need to while Gold works behind the scenes. And this is, this is interesting. Uh, I think I, I brought this up before, but this is, this is the first time that we've really, really seen Gold as the main antagonist. In the, in the first couple seasons, he was more of like a secondary antagonist, but this is the first time he's really becoming mm-hmm. like... The big bad, and I, I'm I'm really excited for it. He's always been that 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 plate off to the side that you have to keep spinning, as opposed to being like the and then maybe you know pay some attention to this other bad guy, make sure he's still not, okay. Okay, we dealt with him. Let's get back to our main problem. Now he is the main problem. Yeah, which is I mean he he does have, especially in Storybrooke, he has huge amounts of seemingly unlimited magical power, and also the the, the strategic wit to be able to. You know, he as he talks about, he basically Kaiser Soze'd this whole episode's plot events. He was a, he was the professor who kind of catfished Bell into getting Chernobog released through the hat so that they can make the deal with Regina and Emma to let them into the town. Like this was all his doing, and uh, you know, it, he was uh, granted it probably took him six weeks to come up with it, but the fact that like he was able to to do it and really outsmart everyone in the cast is pretty astounding. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's interesting, though, is that his key, his, his key ability, though, is mani- manipulating people. And he does not have the advantage uh, other than uh, the 
kind of the cat catfish approach, um, he isn't going to be able to necessarily talk to people and convince them of doing things that aren't in their best interest. So the fact that he does have to kind of be off the radar and manipulate things, it might give us a chance to see a different side of him. Not a good side, I'm saying. I'm still saying probably a still evil side. But I think you raise a good point that the way he manipulates uh, Bell and company through the whole uh, linguistic catfish approach uh, worked really well. I'm, I'm hoping that it's not an entire you know season of him having to interact via computer, but I'm curious what he can do behind the scenes when he's not offering deals to people. Yeah, and I even wonder where he's going to hide as well. There, there are not that many buildings in Storybrooke, so unless he hides in a, a random room in the author's mansion, we, we, he might need to find a spot quick. Yeah, exactly. I'm wondering where, yeah, where he's going to go. So the the other big thing to take away from that that one scene between the villains is that uh, you know they they bring up the Regina uh, Ursula and Cruella bring up that uh, Regina is the is the person to fear in this town because you know Chernabog went after her she's the one who's capable for the most evil but Gold drops the truth bomb that Chernabog was actually not going after Regina he was going after Emma now it, it had been revealed in uh, some interviews leading up to this half season by the creators that uh, Emma's big focus on this season is going to be kind of is, will she succumb to the darkness uh, of the queens of, of the queens of darkness? So, Kurt, uh, are, how are you feeling about the beginnings of this uh, Revenge of the Sith esque storyline of Emma possibly turning to the dark side? I'm not happy with it, and it's we saw it already with the whole Ice Queen storyline in the first half of the season. Yeah, I, I think you know it's it more like turn your back on the good on the good that others see in you. I just see it. I see it too similar to elements of the first half of the season, and and Emma not being true to herself. And it, it it seems like this is a second time this season that the members of an evil sorority are trying to get her to rush. That's all I'm saying. Second semester, and she she exactly. she, she deferred the first semester, so now they they really want her this time. Yeah, it's uh, it's the 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 Cruella Malefa. Uh, Ursula sorority, and now they want her uh, because she wasn't going to go with the uh, the, the Dairy Queen last season. I, I'll say that um, I, I'm not. I'll agree. I'm not. I'm not the on the onset. I'm not the biggest fan of this storyline just because, uh, as I agree that it, it might fall into trite territory. I, I'm just praying under the assumption that they do it well and it doesn't become a thing of like. Emma falls to the to evil side, but then she remembers her family and she remembers how to yeah. love and then she's okay again. As long as they don't make it that predictable, I'll be happy. And I have some faith in, in the in the once writers to kind of put some twists and turns along the way to not to not make it as stereotypical. Yeah, it's I don't want the this the outcome of this entire back half to be Emma's decision. Yeah, like it's like I, I, it's been more fun. It's like where you have to overcome. That's not adventure which is it's it's not a, that's not a quest um and you know i, I prefer kind of these storylines where where this thing has to be retrieved and then these this has to be done with it and then a you know an unforeseen circumstance comes up and a creative solution must be found to it if it's just an entire season of uh emma struggling to not give in to the dark side and you have half the episode with the angel on her shoulder talking and half the episode with the devil on her shoulder talking. And that's, you know, repeat for nine episodes. I'm going to be disappointed, but I am excited about the potential for where things could actually go. So I kind of wish that, that Mary Margaret was actually the person who had the most potential. I was, 
I was wondering if that was going to be it because she does have a little stain on her uh, on her heart. Yeah, she's killed people, multiple people. <laughs> I I that I I kind of wish that not because not only would it give her something to do, but I think it brings a lot more like because that was an interesting facet of Mary Margaret's personality, you know, and her and her character is that like she has had to face the weight of these decisions that she has like gone. At, she's actually killed people with intent. And like that was a, such an interesting facet of her character. So it, it does kind of suck that that was like swept under the rug in lieu of this storyline. And keep in mind, we only have Gold's slash Rumpelstiltskin's word on the Chernabog. I mean, what if he misunderstands like, oh, it's not sorry. It's not who has the most potential for darkness. It's who has the most potential for dorkness. And <laughs> oh, Emma, she's so adorkable. Uh, remember those up- glasses she wore when she was 17? <laughs> wah, wah. Um, and it turns into a whole new girl thing. Um, so, you know, I don't know. So it's it all does also rely on, on gold. And who knows? Maybe maybe uh, like he said that he said that the whole. He said the whole reason for releasing the fairies was to release the Chernabog um, and that the reason to release the Chernabog was that was it to confirm that it went after Emma because he couldn't see that and they ended up destroying it um, unless it was. If if the town if the Chernobog gets released in the town, then we'll be there to be able to tell to so you two can tell them how to stop it. But you didn't actually tell them how to stop it, and they figured out how to stop it without your help. So I'm still not sure what his short term plan was here. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure either. Maybe, maybe it was something that he's been sensing for a long time, kind of like you know Yoda slash the Emperor with Anakin Skywalker. I'm mean, just a, just for a forewarning for our listeners, I'm going to be making a lot of Anakin Skywalker references for the next ten episodes or so. So just just be forewarned if you haven't seen uh, the Star Wars uh, Sep Sepquel yet uh, or Sexquel yet. I would I would highly suggest so because it's there's a lot of parallels right now between like you know Emma being brought over to the dark side. Your co-host has not seen it, and he's refusing to. So just be able to make it make. Keep in mind, your references may go over my head. Oh, Kurt, I have so much to tell you about the Trade Federation. <laughs> I stopped. I stopped after Jar Jar. I'm just going to. Uh, oh, Misa, sad. You stopped after talking about me. Uh, so let, let's talk about this last scene really quickly, because this this shows this uh, was a nice display of one of my favorite things about this series, which is the Snow White badassery. Uh, where she where she basically tells Cruella and Ursula, you know, if you know, if you say anything about our history, I will rip your heart out myself, which is just like, man, I'm glad you're back. Even if just for like two episodes, I'm glad badass Snow White is back. Yeah. And, and you know, we gave Snow White and Charming or Mary Margaret and David a lot of flack. And I think in the first half of the season for really not doing a whole lot. Um and so it's it's nice to see that uh, they may have more of a juicy role in the second half of the season. And I didn't even know from the like I, I kind of had learned from the um, the secrets of Storybrooke a precursor to this episode. I didn't realize that they were together. I did, but I didn't realize that they had gotten together on the show. I thought they were together beforehand and got the parts together. Yeah. So if there's, if there's anybody who's for some reason made it this far into the episode and has never watched Once Upon a Time before. Um, I'd actually recommend catching that Secrets of Storybook thing. It actually does a good way to uh, to introduce the series to people who missed the first three and a half seasons. Yeah, and, there, and there's some nice like little behind the behind the scenes stuff as well, which is a lot of fun. They go they go into the writers' room a couple times. They show some filming things. So it's a it's a pretty cool special. My I would say if if you've if you've been watching the show with us, you can fast forward definitely through some parts, especially when they yeah. do like character arc recaps. But there's some cool tidbits here and there. 
you get to see Josh Dallas on a giant green pickle. What else could you want? Exactly. <laughs> Kurt, you have you have anything else you want to uh, talk about this episode? Uh, no, I'm I was I'm, I'm glad it's back I'm, and I'm glad it's uh, thought out um, <laughs> from from the first half of the season. So uh, although I am wondering to what extent uh, are we going to I think we would have seen it by now and got a hint of it by now. Um, if the, the fact that Cinderella is being launched in theaters, uh, in the, you know, over the next you know month or so, mm-hmm. uh, if we're going to get a lot of tie-ins to that, and maybe it's a little bit hard to resurrect that storyline because they kind of played it out in the first, uh, in the first, uh, season. Yeah. And she, um, I mean, I think we saw, I wish, wasn't she one of the moms in that, <laughs> in that mommy me club at the, at the, in the first half of the season? I believe she was. Okay. So, was. so we might see her. Again, and that the guy that she was with, I completely it was I forgot who he was. He like a, a mechanic or something. Yeah, he was he was another prince. Um, I first thought I remember watching the first season that I thought maybe he was related to Prince Charming in some way. But I think he was just a prince from a neighboring kingdom. Uh, but yeah, he ended up being the she was pregnant and he, his father didn't agree. And they yeah, anyway, things ended up kind of working out. But uh, I, I think it's I don't think we're going to see another tie in like we did with Frozen in terms of the extent of the tie-in. All right, Kurt, one, one final question. It's been submitted by a couple people uh, this week. Uh, we, might oh, as well, yeah. we might as well start, start it off with, uh, with a, I guess, a bang, if you will. Uh, Ding, Mary kill the Queens of Darkness. Okay, Ding, Mary kill the Queens of Darkness. Um, not, it, it, mm. I'm going to have to say... Um, and this may surprise people. I would have to say Ding Ursula, Mary Maleficent, and Kill Cruella. I do the same thing. And and the the reasoning is, I think, in terms of sustaining a life together, that Maleficent would be the best choice. Uh, either in terms of she's got the best, she seems to have the best head on her shoulders. With magic, she seems to be the most powerful. Uh, we've seen from Ursula's you know, situation in New York City that she at least you know was able to pull things together there as well as she wanted to. And Corella seems like she would be a drain on the household resources. Absolutely, I would not. I, if you marry Corella, you're going to wind up in a penitentiary. Right. Uh, in term in in terms of Ding, I'm not going to bring up the tentacles. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, there there hentai exists. People in countries are into that. I'm not going to judge anyone for those choices. Um. And, and and I don't think that as 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 fun as I think Corella would be to you know hit the bars with I I just I just don't see her being very passionate whereas I think Ursula has passion um, and and I love Frenchie or, or Francie from uh, uh, from the Alias series so uh, good good on you there so let's maybe maybe we'll do one at the end of the season two and see yeah, see so how we changes. see how things uh, rank up but if if you guys have any comments if you have your own personal rankings or, or if you if you have thoughts as to how charming and snow know uh, the queens of darkness or if you if you have any postulates as to what the scroll rules or the hat rules may be you have a, a number of ways to contact us you can obviously leave comments on the page for this podcast if you haven't yet you can subscribe to our once upon a time only feed at post show recaps you can uh, find that at post show slash once itunes and if you do please 
If you can, uh, give us a give us a rating, write us a review. That's going to help uh, bump us up to the top. Especially now that the show's coming back, there are a lot of once podcasts out there, and we want to we want to put ourselves near in the in the top tier. Uh, but that being said, while while you're uh, doing that, you can also reach out to us via social media as well. Kurt, how can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I am at Kurt Clark on Twitter with a couple C's in there, and I am at a Mike Bloom type uh, on Twitter with a couple of. O's in there. Uh, while while you're listening to this post show recaps coverage, there is a bunch of stuff going on elsewhere on the site. Coverage of Seinfeld, SNL, Better Call Saul, Walking Dead, House of Cards just started. Uh, so if, if you are in scripted TV, uh, we are we are in our heyday now. Of uh, e- everything seems to be back. Uh, but unfortunately, next week, Kurt Clark will not be back. Uh, he he will be away traveling uh, in Mist Haven. Uh, looking, yes. looking for trolls. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna bring in a, a substitute. We will miss Kurt very much, but we'll we'll bring in someone to to cover him in his stead. Uh, we'll we'll see the return of Brent Wolgamot, who we we brought in to cover for Kurt all the way back in season two, season four, episode four, I think it was. He's a, a very excited, big super fan. Uh, so we'll have Brent back on next week to talk. Uh, in general, just going forward, I. I I, for this half season, I want to see. Uh, I want to try to use more feedback from the listeners. I know I, I started using it this podcast. Uh, we're usually going to record on Sundays, uh, Sunday nights, right after the episode airs, uh, audio only, no live show. But if we end up recording on Monday nights, what I can do is I'll put out a I'll put out a questions via Twitter, or if you're a patron of Rob has a podcast, I'll put up a question thread in the patron group for you to give us any sort of feedback, and we'll we'll try the best we can to answer any questions or, or field any comments as well, because uh, we have uh, an amazing amount of of dedicated Once Upon a Time fans out there, and we want to get you guys involved as much as possible. So please, as you're watching the episode, feel free to send us feedback, though not next week for Kurt. We don't want to spoil Kurt on the episode, right? Oh, yeah. Although I'm pretty good about um, about uh, when I'm traveling abroad, down, downloading uh, from the Enchanted Forest iTunes uh, episodes and watching them while while I'm sailing the seas. So, OK, so so maybe so maybe if you want to tag Kurt, that's yeah, okay. I just didn't want to spoil too many things for you. All right. So to to finish up, Kurt, uh, to welcome us back do you have a, a hashtag that we can use for people who have made it all the way through this podcast uh yeah i think we have to go with hashtag linguistic catfish oh i love it all right so uh if you made it all the way through hashtag linguistic catfish which i l-i-n-g-u-i-s-t-i-c and then catfish, catfish. Yes. uh so thank you guys so much for listening we are we are thrilled to be back um i'm excited to jump into some more episodes with you guys and uh Remember, uh, just because you've been talking with a nice professor online, uh, don't think he won't be your mean ex-boyfriend. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.